episode 38 of the Paul George Show welcomes David Calavita. For us, realizing that, especially because we were limited in our resources, that we were doing everything we could and we we're still coming up, you know, empty. And so there's a, there is a great sense of struggling for hope in, in that regard. Paul George Show. Welcome to the Paul George Show. This week, David Calavita, when hope is a struggle, rock band nuns, and Paul finds out what his name means. And now, from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, the wildly entertaining Paul George. Welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today in studio with... Adam Cock, Adam, how you doing, man? Great. How are you, man? I got I got coffee in my hand. Actually, which is not normal. Just be honest. I looked at you this morning, and you <laughs> look, look like exhausted. Death. Yeah, you really do. You normally don't look like death, but to put in your own words, you look pretty bad this morning, man. Thanks. I'm be honest with you. Appreciate it. Well, look, I'm proud to look bad this morning because it means that I've stuck it out with my family through a stomach virus. And when you have a new baby like we do, right? there are lots of precautions you take to make sure the baby doesn't get it. Right. And then... Uh, so you're sleep deprived. Yes. Very much. You know, that's the thing about, uh, you know, having a male co-host or whatever. It's guys, the way guys talk to each other and the way girls talk to each other or where a guy talks to a girl is completely different. Like I couldn't, if you were a girl, I couldn't say, man, you look horrible today. Right. But thankfully I'm a guy so that when you hurt my feelings like that, I just repress it deep down <laughs> and, and don't show it you go cry in the corner <laughs> right that's what you do in between segments uh, do you cry because i I've i will today maybe all right so i have something that'll cheer you up so ha- have you seen this what did you say that is so interesting Are you for real though yeah i'm for real okay i don't know if you've seen this <laughs> you just love doing that I, I really do it's funny is um there's these nuns that are in a rock band. Like a real rock band? Like a real rock band. They're uh, the, the service nuns. That they're, uh, um, uh, they're from Spain, and they're in a rock band. They literally, uh, and they're not dressing up as nuns, and they're not pretending to be so in a rock band. They're, they're in habits. Wow. And they are really, really good. <laughs> I mean, they they rock out like they cut albums and stuff. They do concerts. Like yeah, what? no, they got music out there. They have. Um, I mean, you go on YouTube. They're they they are out there now on the interwebs. What's their name? YouTube. Um, they're the the Servians, um, Sister Monica, and the Service are the Peruvian uh, Peruvian Peruvian based rock and roll band uh, comprised of entirely nuns. Um, so they play musical instruments. They have some strings in there, but they have drums and bass and keys and horns. This is awesome. Okay, so note here: they're not they're not playing this, you know, sort of loud rock music in church. This, right. It's not within it's not the context music. of mass or the liturgy. It's like a festival festival setting. But they have a they have a video of them like doing a music video, and they're on top of a building. Whoa! And they have like a drone flying <laughs> over them, filming them, and and they're all completely modestly dressed in habits, beautiful looking. Here's what I love about rocking. this: 
Look at Here, Here's what I love about this. One is that the quality of music is actually good. Yeah. Like they're actually talented and good at what they're doing. And obviously the music has a positive message. Okay. So it's music that's well done. And two, it's nuns that are joyful. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at them, they look like they're having fun. The, they love each other. They're smiling. And I think that type of attraction is really what our world needs. What I love about this is, you know, I'm thinking as I watch this video, I'm thinking back to, say, the 80s, maybe late 80s, yep. of the cheesiest rock videos ever. Like the che- That's when okay. rock videos came out, man. All right, all right, I'm just saying, but but they were awesome. Like, they have a certain, and, and this video is at least better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't take much <laughs> if you were the first so generation <laughs> of MTV watchers <laughs> Where all you had was like a rock band, yeah. a hair band with a with a camera in front of them, right? Yeah. Well, and and in rock music in particular, it is kind of a a boys' club, or it can be, you know. So I think this is very cool, not only for us Catholics to see, but for the world to see talented women playing their music, and they love Jesus, yeah. And they're just they're just now, when we it say out. rock, a lot of times in different parts of the world, when you say rock music, that don't mean like heavy metal or anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean heavy metal. They just mean that it's like a band. Like I went to Honduras once, and uh, we had a team that played guitars, right? Simply, and they kept saying "Adoro Rocco," <laughs> and and I was like, "What? What is that?" It's like "Adore Rock," rock band of adore. Wow, you know, uh, that is awesome. So it was like, "No, we don't. We are not a rock. <laughs> they're not a rock band. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not a rock band." But but. In different parts of the world, that, that word rock means something different. So they're not like a heavy metal band. We would band. call it like pop music. Yeah, pop music. But it's not poppy, this music. I was, it doesn't seem like. Like they're not, you know, it's not like. Um, yeah, you got to look it up. Yeah. You got to look it up. See and, for yourself. And see it. So this is the type of stuff that the world needs, man. Because when I look at the news and I'm, and I'm watching, uh, my heart every day is just saddened by the news. I mean, recently the terror attacks in London, yeah. uh, in England, I Philippines. Mean, you, the Philippines, there's hostages. Uh, and I just, it's, it's tense, man. It, it's really, really intense out there. And I, recently the, the Holy Father said that, that there are more martyrs today than there were in the early church. Yeah. And we know the, wor- the word martyr means to witness, right? Like if you break down that word, uh, but when he's using the word, he's not talking about witness, although he's talking about witness. We're all martyrs. We're all called to be witnesses. So that's certainly true. But what he's saying martyrs is those witnesses are actually being persecuted and giving up their life or losing their life for the sake of the gospel in various regions around the world. Like this is really, really happening. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. Yeah, it is scary. But there's also the witness of these nuns that is maybe equally important. Um, in the sense of, for example, these nuns are rocking it out, they're having a great time, but we know that that's not what their life is all about. And I think there's this misnomer, in America at least, that the rich and famous, like to be great at something, I have, I have to make it my entire life. Like my life has to be all about music, all about the whatever. Like, and I gotta make it big. Right, I gotta, I gotta sell out for this. But these nuns spend most of their time in prayer, not playing rock music all day. And right. we know that they love Jesus more than anything, but yet they're still able to do this excellently. Yeah, because they love it, witness. and it's a good witness to the world. And, you know, interestingly enough, in, in the same country as Spain I was reading, uh, is that uh, there, was a, there was a wedding, a Catholic wedding, where a guy ran up and started uh, yelling, you know, 
you know, Allah and like attacked the priest and started wow. pulling on the altar cloth and like desecrating the altar. And the, the groomsmen like, you know, manhandled him and took him out. And it's like, this stuff is real and it's actually happening. Yeah. It's getting closer and closer to home. Yeah. You know, and it's scary. And here, here's what I have to say, I guess, is, you know, we can't live in fear. We certainly, you know, see all these things on the news and in the world. I, we're very familiar with um, things happening in a, even our own homeland, you know, uh, September 11th. You know, it, it, it all rings true for us and it's all real. Um, but the reality of, of all this is that it, it, it really starts with us, our ability to bring this joy and this love to the world that we're all called to be martyrs and witnesses. And the greatest change that can happen in the world first starts with us. And then when, when we begin to change and transform into who Christ calls us and wants us to be, we can have an impact on the world and the people around us. We can't live in that fear. We really have to begin to spread this gospel to the world. And does God, I mean, is there any sacrifice that pleases God more than a truly joyful heart? You know but, what I mean? Like, is there any other way to live that pleases God more than this experience with him and with our brothers and sisters around us that we are truly at peace and at joy and is there anything more fragile in this world than that like that's what we have to offer we're christians who set that as a goal we're going to be at peace with everyone and have true joy and we're going to spread that as much as we can like we are we are a rare animal in the world but we need to be in the world doing that mission yeah absolutely now i can't rock out i, I am not a musician you can headbang I can bang someone's head, <laughs> but I can't. You never headbang. did the head banging? No, I never had the long hair. And the never, you never no, had long hair. No, I was not a rocker. Now my friend, Father Sibley, he was a rocker. <laughs> he loves to rock, <laughs> and you know, I think he would appreciate. Dude, maybe he, maybe he should show up on stage with them one day in Spain, just rocking it. Does he play like the keyboard? Or no, something? I don't think the he synthesizer? plays anything. He just likes to rock <laughs> out to to music. So it could just be the headbanger. Yeah, Father the headbanger Bryce. just rocking, <laughs> rocking out. But anyway, uh, I'm excited about our guest today. His testimony story um, is really going to bring hope to a lot of people today. We're going to get into uh, some of the things him and his wife dealt with and, and his family. It's a beautiful story of, of, of how God's used him and the joy that he's bringing into the world. You know, uh, and I love to bring out these stories. So anyway, check out this uh, this group online, uh, these nuns. You can just search Nun Rock Band. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a drill. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's really, really happening. So anywhere, anyway, uh, great to be with you today. I'm excited about our show. Uh, bring joy and hope to the world today. Uh, this is Paul George Show. We'll be right back. Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. 
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Excited about our guest today, all the way from California, actually, where you're not here with me in the studio. You actually are in California. David Calavita, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know it's earlier there than here. Uh, two hours different, so thanks for, for waking up early. But uh, you have a baby now, and so I'm sure you're you're up earlier than you used to be than before you had a baby, right? Uh, that, that's right. Yeah, that's for sure. You're you're up when when you have to be. You don't get to plan it anymore, <laughs> which is a good and bad. You know what I mean? It's um, you realize you can wake up a lot earlier than you thought you could. Yeah, absolutely. Your body does things you never thought it would do, man. Uh, so anyway, thanks for taking the time talking to David Calavita at David Cal on Twitter. Um, ministry speaker all, all over the country. Works for Life Teen. Uh, does great work. Um, so your name, what is this? Is it Italian? Is it uh, like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely Italian Calavita. Uh, okay. I never really knew what it, what it meant until, um, you mean like meatball or <laughs> cheese or what does it mean? Yeah. No, well, see, and I, I don't know if this is, if this is true, but this is what a priest told me. So I'm just going to take it as the infallible truth of our Catholic church. <laughs> he told me that, uh, Calavita, if you take it apart, you have Cala and then Vita, and he said those are derivatives of Vita means life, and Kala is a derivative of hot. So he says it means hot life. Uh, so David, hot life. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but a priest told me, so I'm going to run with that, because if I ever have an autobiography, I'm just saying that's a great title, right? It sounds anyway. like he's breaking down the Italian into Latin. It sounds like that's what he's doing. I, he is a priest of the Roman Catholic Church. I will not question him. <laughs> I like that, though, man. Uh, hot life. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> I really don't know if that's anywhere near what it means. Yeah, so I mentioned that you guys, uh, you and your wife, just ha had a baby. Um, but yeah. I, I really want to get into story because you and I met a few years ago, and I was just really intrigued yeah. by you guys' story. Um, you guys were married for years and years and years and struggled with infertility before you had your child. Uh, give me some background there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, <clears throat> my, uh, before we actually had our son, my wife and I, we were married for, um, for a little over 10 years. And, uh, you know, when we got married, like we had, uh, you know, we, we weren't really actively trying to not get pregnant, you know, we just kind of assumed that, um, it, it would happen. You know what I mean? It, you tend to hear that, uh, pregnancy, you know, it's, it, it it happens uh, pr pretty often, I suppose. And so we were just kind of open to it. Um, and we realized um, pretty quickly, kind of like a, a year or two into it, kind of the question of like, wow, this, you know, we thought by now we'd, you know, we'd have a family. And that kind of started to to give us a little bit of insight in, in maybe there were some issues or, and, you know, stuff like that. And, and so we we're actively, you know, trying to conceive for, for years. And, uh, and once we realized, like, even with actively trying nothing, nothing was really happening, we, we kind of realized that this is probably like a legitimate issue. And so we, we started to look into, um, you know, obviously kind of using NFP in a way, um, not just, you know, to, uh, to maybe space out pregnancy, but, but as a, a way to then intentionally, you know, know when it's time and, you know, uh, try to achieve pregnancy that way and nothing was happening. And so, um, ultimately like we, uh, we had heard about NAPRO technology, which, um, if you're not familiar with it at all, I would recommend you you uh, put it in the Google machine and check yeah, it out. What's it called? Uh, I <laughs> Napro Technology. Okay. I believe it's N A P R 
O and then technology. And, and basically, um, you're probably going to be led to, at some point, the Pope Paul VI Center. And I believe, I believe they're in, in Nebraska. And basically, they're this um, full Catholic approach to fertility and reprodu- reproductivity. And, mm. and it's amazing the science that's behind it and really kind of seeing, um, uh, I can't speak expertly on this, but just seeing how God has designed the body. There are so many telltale signs of what could be going on in your body. And so my, so my wife, she started to learn about this. And at that time, um, obviously NAPRA technology is not necessarily something that's like a, a normal fertility approach in kind of the ways of the world. And so our insurance wouldn't even begin to touch the idea of, mm. of talking to a NAPRO, a NAPRO doctor. And uh, at that time, I mean, years have gone by. We did our, our best to kind of research on our own and try different diets, you know, and different things like that. Um, ultimately, you know, still nothing really happened. And so we for, found a uh, NAPRO doctor. We, yeah. Yeah, real quick, because take me inside maybe the burden that you guys were carrying over the, the course of this 10 years. <laughs> Like what was the, what was, for sure. what, what was, you, you know, your wife's burden, your burden There's a lot of people who struggle with infertility, but if it's not infertility, it's other things in life where they feel like, Hey, I'm in the middle of something and I, and I don't have hope. I don't think it'll ever end, you know? For sure. Well, I think, um, for us realizing that, especially cause we were limited in our resources, um, that we were doing everything we could and we we're still coming up, you know, empty. And so there's a, there is a great sense of, um, like struggling for hope in, in that regard. And I will say like, as a, as a woman, my wife with her, you know, that motherly kind of longing is, is I believe just kind of much more tangible prior to the child than maybe like a father's. Right. And it's not that I didn't want a child at all, but like that longing that she had, that connection that her body was designed for, she really felt that ache. And, um, and I, honestly, there's years of just um, a lot of tears. Mm. And, and as a husband trying to, you know, I guess enter into that the best I could understand it yeah. uh, was definitely a struggle. But to kind of you know acknowledge that that emptiness or that longing, the, the idea that her body was built for this, but it seemed kind of unfulfilled in that regard, uh, especially with the desire to fulfill it. And, and um, <clears throat> I mean, ultimately, at one point we were um, we were living in in Georgia, and and I just remember the the ache in, in my wife, um, you know, talking about it and and infertility isn't something really we talk a lot about in the church. Right. I think there's certain fringe things that we kind of view as taboo or, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, we had, my, my wife had been accused by other really good, well-intentioned Catholics of like, you know, using birth control and all these things, because how else could it be that we'd been married for at that point, you know, eight years and not have a kid, you know, it wasn't really thought of or, or talked about. And so there's kind of a little bit of a, you know, uh, a guilt, uh, a shame in infertility, uh, which I mean, obviously is, is, is true, but, but a lie in the sense that, um, you know, it wasn't anything, you know, she had done or we had done. Um, but, uh, ultimately it's kind of, I mean, just seeing that brokenness in my wife, I think God, man, God is so good. Like in that brokenness, he, two things, like one, like he urged my wife to, to kind of come out of herself. And that's ultimately what, what started my wife writing. She, she writes uh, for a few different blogs and stuff right now, but ultimately she just had this, this pain and she didn't know how to get it out. And so she, she just started kind of writing on her blog for her own sake. Hmm. It wasn't, you know, necessarily for anyone else. It was like, just have to figure out how to get this out. 
and kind of have these personal conversations with myself. So she started writing about it and, and come to find out, I mean, you know, hand over fist, like people are contacting her that they struggle with infertility, yeah. whether that's, you know, conceiving or, or something like a miscarriage. And, and to begin to surface this great, I think, um, collective in the suffering that really hadn't, or at least to our knowledge, hadn't been spoken about or hadn't been identified among, you know, our, our peer group. And it's a very powerful thing. And the other thing that God did through that is um, realizing that for 10 years, like in struggle, like we had each other to, to kind of grow with. Many families, you know, maybe two years after marriage, they, they end up having the child just kind of in the natural flow of it. And that's great. But all of a sudden, like we had 10 years to just develop us. Hmm. And so in the middle of it, we would have changed it. But looking back after coming through those 10 years and now having our son, we look back at what God did in us and, and, and we really probably wouldn't change the timeline of it all just because as painful as it was, there's a, there's a unity and a growth and a love that develops in that pain and in that suffering that you can't, um, you can't manufacture, you know, you just kind of have to surrender to it and go through it together. And so, I mean, God has pulled so much fruit from that suffering. Man, that's so true. Uh, and the fact that you guys could stick together in your marriage and the time of suffering, I'm talking to David Calavita, California at David Cal on Twitter. Uh, this story is fascinating to me because, you know, not only are you running into people who struggle with infertility or even struggles in their marriage or just things in life where they feel like their pain and suffering has no meaning. And w when you're talking, you, you're looking back and you're kind of explaining like in the midst of it all, God was with you, even though it was difficult, right? Yeah, I, it, um, I mean, it absolutely was difficult. And I think what made it so difficult is just the big unknown, you know, of like, what is wrong? Different if it was, we knew what was wrong and it would still be difficult, but there's a great sense of mystery. And so you feel kind of lost at sea. But in that process, not only in my marriage with my wife, not only in, in really her, um, her gift of writing and things like that, God brought so much out. But Paul, like, it's amazing how many people in the 10 years have come alongside my wife and I to pray with us and for us. Mm. And I mean, being that I get to travel and share, like, you know, I meet uh, uh, some amazing people and we have like countless, like, like amazing, like, like sisters and, and priests and, and other lay ministers, like around the country, like praying for us specifically, they'll send us letters and things like that while we're trying, you know, to, to conceive. And it's amazing to see such a unified longing for our child. Um, and one, if I could share real quickly, one story that blew me away. Um, when I was leaving Orange County, moving out to Atlanta, we had a new bishop come in, Bishop Kevin Van, and I met him very briefly. And he found out we were struggling with infertility. So he took us to his house and, you know, we had dinner and he talked with us, took us up to his chapel and he prayed over us uh, just for that, that, that gift of, of life. And um, when we moved to Atlanta, maybe like a month after that, he kept in contact with us every, every month or so checking on us. And at one point, it's the canonization of John the 23rd and, and John Paul II. And I get a call on my cell phone from, from Bishop Van. And I know that he's in Rome celebrating the canonization because I'm watching him on Twitter. Oh, that's crazy, and I get dude. This call. All right, All right. Le <laughs> yeah. leave it right there because when we come back, sure. this is a great story. I want to hear the end of this. And I want to know the name of this little kid that's in y'all's world now, your son. We'll be right back. It's Paul George.
Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Great to be with you on the phone. Interview with David Calavita, California, at David Cal on Twitter. All right, so you had me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> you have this bishop, man, who's in Rome, and you're following him on Twitter. Is this what's happening? And he had prayed for you in his home, and then he's at the canonization of John Paul II. Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah, so Bishop Van, he's uh, just been awesome, kind of journeying with us through this struggle of infertility in terms of prayer and support. I'm watching on Twitter because he live-tweets everything, and he's literally in Rome. I'm watching him that morning. He's about to process in for the canonization Mass. hour or two later, I get a phone call, and it's from his number, and I think it's got to be the diocesan office or something because he's in Rome. Right. I answer it, and the first thing I hear is, how about a phone call from Rome? Like, he's super excited. And I was <laughs> this like, is awesome. Van, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're in Rome, like, you can't at the canonization. Like, what's going on? And he says to me, he goes, I just wanted to call and to tell you and Brittany that I, while I was celebrating the canonization mass, I was offering it up for you, Brittany, and your future child. Wow. And, like, even as I think about it now, like, I, I, it's hard to, like, like, tears come to my eyes because to think, like, God, who are we that even in the midst of this pain and suffering, like, you've brought like holy people into our lives to, to pray with us and support us. And, and like, that's amazing to see that my son, whose name is Judah, he's now uh, almost nine months old, that Judah was being prayed for specifically at the canonization mass of John Paul and John the 23rd. Dude. That blows my mind to see God's grace in that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. The, the power <clears throat> of God. And you, you don't know how your story is going to end up. You know, like, when you guys were struggling with this, you prayed and had faith, and you didn't know if Judah would ever come into the world, but you knew that whatever the outcome was, whatever God's plan for you guys was, you were going to trust. You know, so I'm I, I'm sure that at the same time that you guys were hoping and conceiving, you you were thinking and praying about other options that God might have wanted for your family, right? For sure. I mean, it. Um, I mean, everything from the idea of just accepting it or, you know, looking into adoption, things like that are, um, we're, we're on the table. And it, I think all of those are difficult because you don't want to turn to any of those, especially like adoption as a, uh, as a second, like uh, as a solution, quote unquote, yeah. you know what I mean? Like those are called, those, you have to be called to adopt. It's, it's not a solution, you know, um, it's not your second choice in life. And, but it, the pressure and the desire are really hard to kind of sort through yep. during that time. Um, but I don't know, God has been good and faithful and better than we can imagine. We wouldn't change these past 10 years looking back on, on seeing the way he moved and worked in us. That's so good. So if you want to see pictures of Judah, you can go to David's Twitter account at David Cal. Every now and then yeah. you, you put a yeah. little bit out there. It's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, one of yeah. the things that, um, that uh, you mentioned um, in, in the earlier segment you're talking about, you're, you're saying, you know, how the church, there's some hot button issues that the church doesn't talk about a lot, you know, uh, infertility, uh, you know, we can name a few, but as, as you yeah. being in full-time ministry work and, um, you know, you work with Life Teen and Steubenville and speaking at all these conferences all around, you know, the globe, what do you see as some of those hot-button issues that the church doesn't really talk much about, but really maybe should talk more about? For sure. I mean, obviously, I, I just to ramble some lot, I think anything from, from infertility and, and miscarriage and things like that to, uh, I mean, we're being forced to talk about it now, but the idea of, of gender issues and, you know, same-sex attraction uh, and those things, I think the abortion debate is, is a hot button and the church has had a voice in that for a long time. 
sometimes I don't know if the voice is um, is necessarily the right the right tact or approach to it. I think with any of these hot button issues, the church has for a long time said the what, right? The what we do or the what we believe, but they failed to follow it up with the why. And I think the why of what we do justifies the what of what we do. You know, working with teens out here in California, I mean, the whole idea of, of um, same-sex marriage was, was on our ballot like years and years and years ago. And my teens are in schools, public schools, and they're, they're forced, they're pressured into to, to opposing the church's teachings on it. And, and, I mean, usually they buckle, not because of the what, they know what the church believes, they just don't know why. Hmm. And so if, if you just have a what, you see a law, you see a rule, and it doesn't make sense to you, it seems like condemnation or hatred or bigotry. But if as a church we can explain the why behind it all, what, why the idea of same-sex marriage being, being something that the church is opposed, well, the why, you look into the why of marriage, the why of sexuality, the why of life, you start to see the beauty and the good in that, and then you realize all the what's that we put around those moral issues make sense because of the why. The why is that selfless love. The why is the gift of life. When things oppose the gift of life, then we have the what of contraception. That's, that's the what we can't can accept because of the why of life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think we need to be better at putting that the why forward so the what has a, has a context. Absolutely. I mean, I, I find this all the time with, with all of these issues, you know, whether it be same-sex attraction, abortion, uh, you know, I, I find some of the, at least things from the pulpit, you know, we don't hear a lot about mm-hmm. as lay people. Uh, and maybe it's because, you know, what I find maybe, you know, priests aren't comfortable talking about it or they're just not skilled in it or they don't feel like that's the place. I, I don't know what it is, but... I know that a lot of times these hot button issues aren't necessarily pastorally explained, you know, like you said, the why Mm -hmm. behind it. I find a lot, you know, those issues like with divorce, um, you know, even the issue with sin, Mm. like is not talked about much, you know, because we we know what's wrong, but we don't always know why, you know, and like when you begin to explain, uh, you know, the why people begin to understand. I've had a lot of actually powerful conversations uh, with non-Catholics on the why, and when I explain the why, they're like, oh, yeah, well, that certainly makes sense. You know, I get that, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. I think what uh, Simon Sinek, he's kind of like a, a leader at, in, in just kind of various uh, uh, circles, but he said people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And for me, I think in ministry and church, it completely applies. Like, like people, they don't buy what we believe, they believe the why, they buy the why of why we believe it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if we can explain that why, the what makes sense, the what is life-giving, the what is freedom, but because of that why. So so when you talk about the why and thinking about, what, you know, why do I really believe this? Uh, is it is mm-hmm. it learning about it and then also living it, like those two coming together, like being passionate about living it, but also being able to know why I'm living it? Is that what you're saying when you talk about the why? Yeah, for sure. I, I think... The, the why, I mean, ultimately, any sin, but I mean, let's just take, I don't know, like same-sex, uh, acting out same-sex attraction or, or something like that. Like, the why ultimately comes down to the human person, like being who God made you to be, the why of your existence, the why of, of you being flesh and bone, the why of you having a sexuality, the why of you, you know, having a heartbeat, that, 
ultimately, all that sin comes down to why. Like, why does a human being exist, you know, for these reasons? Well, then because of those reasons, we have these what's that we list out that, that either destroy humanity or build up humanity. Hmm. You know, and I think um, as we begin to know ourselves, which we can only really do when we begin to know God more, we see humanity and what it is, and that why gives us this beautiful framework for how we're supposed to live then. Yeah, I, you know, I've found even in my own life, like when I've struggled with, you know, you know, why do we do that? Like, what, what's the point of that? Or why does Jesus yeah. say that or talk about it? I, I, I know that when I peel back the layers of the why, even though it's hard to accept it, I begin to understand it because, my, like, I am made and created to know truth. You know, we're made to right. know and, and to be attracted to what's real and true and good for us. And when we begin to peel back the why and, and see the, the goodness of that truth, uh, we're attracted to it, even though it might require some type of life change. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely think that if, the more time we spend with that truth, even if it is difficult, we are attracted to it because ultimately that truth is leading us back to who we are. It's, it's revealing the, the goodness that we're made in. You know, and initially we may have some, some apprehension because we've been conditioned or taught a certain direction, but if we lean into that truth, even if it's sandpaper and it kind of has to smooth out some rough parts of us, we're attracted, we're drawn to it because we find freedom because we find who we are. Yeah, I always you know? tell people when they're struggling with something in their life or even a part of their life of conversion or, or change, and I, I say, ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Ask the why questions about yeah. the faith, because um, the, the church doesn't say, just believe what we believe and don't ask questions about it. Uh, you know, we, we believe in faith and reason, the, the ability to search for truth, because we have nothing to hide. We believe that any search for truth will lead us back to truth, right? Lead us to the truth of who God is. And so you know, ask those why questions. And the more you ask those why questions, your heart becomes open. It's going to lead you to a deeper understanding of who God is and who you are. I think sometimes in our church, especially in, in ministries, um, we're conditioned to, to kind of uh, huddle around and hide truth or, you know, like not necessarily hide it, but, but we think that truth is fragile. The truth is it's kind of like Fabergé egg, that if you ask too many questions of it, it's going to break and fall apart. Right. The reality is, if, if your understanding of Catholicism can't handle questions, then it's not Catholicism that you're holding on to. It's, yep. it's, it's, a, it's a misconception of Catholicism. Yep. I think uh, Augustine, St. Augustine said, truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You let it loose, and it will defend itself. Yep. And I think that same way, like, we, we can't be afraid to question things, because truth ultimately at the end of the day will survive every single question and doubt and struggle we can throw at it. And that truth will remain and that truth will bring us life and freedom. It's David Calvita at David Cal on Twitter. You can follow him. Bro, thanks so much. Absolutely. If I could just real quick, yep. uh, if you're interested in NAPRO technology, head to liveinthelonging.com. Awesome, bro. All right, awesome. man. Have thanks a good one. Appreciate we're we're going to do this again. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs 
while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Adam Cox. You've been more quiet than you've ever been quiet in the corner over there. But I wasn't sleeping. I, I'm I very think tired. you were kind of sleeping. No, no, no. I heard every word. It was a wonderful interview. I'm taking you to lunch today. Oh, can we have coffee? <laughs> you need coffee. Like an IV of yeah. coffee? Anyway, thanks to uh, what it's going to say, at David Calavita, at David Cal, David Calavita. Uh, great interview. Great story. Yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah, so good. So good. So um, check him out and or check his ministry stuff out and, and, and everything. So anyway, you've been quiet over there, but what did you learn from the show today? Well, I learned that if I do start a like praise and worship band or group, yeah. I can call it a rock band and go overseas. Yeah, even though you're not rocking. Right, and I think be. Adore Rock is like an awesome name. Rocco Adore. Rocco Adore. That's Awesome. So isn't, I might steal it. Isn't that so good? Rocco Adore. I might steal it. So Adore was the ministry I was with. In, in Spanish, I guess it's Adore. And rock is Rocco. So, and they flip the words a lot of times. So we would say Adore Rock. Mm-hmm. They would say Rock Adore, Rocco Adore. That's awesome. I love it. I want to get a t shirt. What did you learn? Uh, so I learned that uh, nuns can rock. Absolutely. And I. I learned about Napro technology, bro. Yeah. It's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. And, uh, you know, it all falls within the teaching of the church and, you know, really, really good stuff. So I'm going to check that out and definitely a resource that I can help people with. So anyway, I learned learned that today. And what's cool about that is the church is the only one that actually cares about solving the infertility issue because most, and when I say most, I mean like 99% of those that work with women if you're infertile, they're just going to jump to IVF or some kind of, you yeah. know, like they're not going to try to heal you. They're no. going to try to circumvent it. Yeah. So we're really the only ones that actually care about the science yeah. behind it. So it's it's fascinating. The church is really on the cutting edge. Yeah. If you go anywhere else, you're going to get uh, things that are um, not in line with with the church's teaching. So anyway, that's good stuff, man. So yeah, how about uh, how about we get into a little bit of six-pack of questions, Adam. A little bit. Question. Question number one. So we had some fun with David Calavita's last name. Yeah. And it's maybe the coolest last name I've ever heard of in my life. Hot Life. Hot Life. That's that's pretty awesome. You also have a cool last name. Easier to say, George. Right. But have you ever taken the time to learn what it means? Um... (laughs) No. So you have no idea. It means, well, it means Jorge. Well, that's just another way to say it, Paul. That's not what I mean. <laughs> it I means what it Jorge means in Spanish. I don't know. Adoro Rocco. But Rocco have, Adore. So you don't know who you are because you're walking around and you don't know what your last name means. See, my last name means Shell. Shell. Yeah, Conk. But but George, who knows? Maybe a listener is going to have to inform you. I, I mean, I think George is probably easy to look up. I mean, we could just <laughs> Google it right now. It's not like it's, it's let's like do a this, listener challenge. It's like a rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, 
I'll you look it up about that? in between question one and two. I, I'm more interested less about what my name means because my name, what my name means, doesn't matter. My parents just inherited the last name or whatever. I'm more concerned with my ancestry. Like, where did I come from? Like, who were my relatives? Where, you know, where were my, you know, where are my people from? Where are my people? From? Well, the first George, you'll learn about him by learning by the name George. Well, touche. Because, <laughs> like, some, there was something about that person that was so Georgian that they're like, we got to call this guy George. You know what I mean? Yes. I know what you mean. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Oh, it means, told you, I would find the answer oh, between did. question one and between right question in between. two. Yeah. Well, what does it the mean? name George is, is a Greek baby name. In Greek, <laughs> the meaning of the name George is from Georgos, meaning tiller of the soil Whoa. or farmer. Whoa. See? So the first George was a farmer. Now you know about your ancestor. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats, man. And can I tell you who does not have a green thumb? Moi. Moi? Me. No green thumb. Huh? I can grow stuff, but you never know what it's going to look like. That's All right, question number two. Question number two. Um, so David's experience with his family is different than yours. I mean, you have uh, several children, and it's different than mine, right? A different experience of marriage, for sure, in family life. But as you were listening to his experience and his witness, how did that inspire you in your own journey? Like, like how did you connect with him, even though you all have lived this different experience, you've yeah. lived marriage together? Yeah, you know, I, uh, you look at statistics of marriage, you look at things that end marriage, you know, so, you know, like after seven years or a certain amount of years, you begin to struggle and pull away. You look at uh, statistics of you know, people who struggle or suffer in their marriage, a tragedy or something like that, how the marriage is, you know, kind of breaks up more, you know, after that. What I really got out of him is how, how this situation, and I think this is what what I'm getting at, what the Lord really desires for us, is that in marriage, everything should draw us closer together as one, uh, no matter what we're dealing with in life, instead of pulling us apart. The goal of marriage is a unity. Mm. And in his story, that's what God did for him. And even in my own life and in your life, that, that's what you hope in anything that you deal with, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that it brings unity in the relationship. Well, that brings us to question number three. So sometimes difficult situations in marriage deepen a marriage, and sometimes they destroy a marriage. What makes the difference? What allows for difficulty and struggle to actually improve versus destroy? Well, I think it's authenticity. I think it's being real and honest with each other. I'm struggling. I love you no matter what. Like like this, this, you know, we can't hide from each other. And I think when we do try to hide from each other, like we're strong, we got it all together, that it actually, that actually pulls us further apart. And I actually think in marriage, what, what makes a strong marriage is actually a marriage that's vulnerable, where we see into each other and that we're, we're real and authentic with one another. And we're able to, to walk with each other in that vulnerability. And knowing that 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 other person doesn't have it all together, and neither do I, and and that's when we begin to expose ourselves to our spouse. When our marriage really, I believe, actually becomes stronger and begins to grow even more. Right on. All right. Question number four. That was a pretty awesome bishop story. Sounds like a cool bishop there in Atlanta. What's your most awesome bishop story? Well, we we talked about the cardinal story where I met yeah, a cardinal. That is I, pretty I awesome. Him bro. I did get to slap the hand of John Paul II. 
um, wasn't a high five, although it kind of seemed that way, and we can get into that story <laughs> later. Uh, but like the cool bishop, like, wow, that was a really cool thing for that bishop to do. You know, when I was senior in high school, I was playing football, and I uh, came off the field, had a bad play, and I was throwing, thrusting out some language and some frustrations. Like, golly. Golly gee. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I felt this tap on my shoulder, or hand on my shoulder, and, you know, I thought it was like another player or whatever, calm down, and I looked behind me, and it was the bishop of the diocese oh standing on the side on the sideline on a Friday night, just being present. And he never said a word, it was just his presence. And I just remember thinking that that was just a cool moment, you know, like he he gets it and he accepted me. And and I, and I remember, you know, I got to meet him later on and, and build a relationship with him and it was really cool. Wow. Yeah. That is a cool bishop story. Good job, Paul. You're welcome. <laughs> Question number five. Tiller of the soil I am. <laughs> So he talked about, you know, knowing the what of the faith, but not the why behind it. So my question for you is, was there ever a teaching of the church in your life that you struggled with accepting? Like you knew what the teaching was, but you didn't understand the why. I struggled with a lot of the teachings of the church before my conversion because I didn't understand anything of it. Uh, But even after sort of initial conversion, I think the whole teaching on the theology of the body and sexuality, I just didn't understand the why. Why is this wrong? Why can't we do whatever we want with our bodies or somebody else do whatever they want or think is good or feels good or whatever? The more I begin to unpack the layers, it just began to make sense. It's like, oh, this makes so much sense, of course, and this is what we're created for. And so once I began to discover the why in that, it actually not only did I understand it, but it it became life changing, life transformation. And I would encourage anyone who's who's wanting a deeper understanding of something as as afraid, that fear and that understanding will lead you to a deeper freedom and conversion in your life that's good. Because truth's always good. Yeah. It's always good for us. Every day of the week. Yeah. All right. Question number six. We talked about discussing hot button issues and not being afraid to ask these tough questions, these kinds of things. But sometimes we can do that without a certain tact, Yeah. right? So I want to ask you a question. You don't have to name names or places to yeah. give anything away. But have you ever been in a homily where the priest was going a little, t- <laughs> without tact, addressing a very difficult like cultural issue? I don't know if I can say a specific moment, but I have feelings of those moments where I'm like, this is right, like the teaching is right, and what you're saying is right, but you're leaving it without a pastoral follow-up Mm-hmm. or a wrapping to tell people where to go with this pain, mm-hmm. where to go with this confusion, where to go with this brokenness. And unless we're able to do that for people, then we leave them, we leave them hanging, we leave them frustrated. And so you say, well, divorce is wrong because of this. Yes, I get it. Okay, I hear what you're saying. But where do I go? Mm-hmm. What do I do? Uh, this is painful. So when I found that there's a, a pastoral approach to the back end of that and a, and a follow-up that people people have uh, a better understanding of that. So there have been moments like that that I've, I've left frustrated because I know that there are people in the crowd that, that, that needed to hear something um, a little bit better, mm-hmm. right, you know, I can say. So, yeah, there are a lot of those hot-button issues. And one of the things I want to point out is David's wife, Brittany, uh, livethelonging.com is a great blog where she writes about some of those hot button issues and some things that she she deals with. Uh, so it's livethelonging.com. You can find that. And then also David, uh, David Cowell on Twitter, 
Uh, you can get his website and stuff. So they do great ministry work, beautiful couple. And so that's the encouragement today. You know, live the life God's calling you to and embrace the life God has for you and you'll find great joy in your life. Paul George Show. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, all over the place. Share the show. We'll talk to you next week. God bless.